Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast, made with Zencaster. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. I'm recording this episode in Amsterdam. I'm here to teach a study abroad course on sex and culture. I've brought a group of sex therapists over from the United States to learn about sex education, sexual health, sex work, LGBTQ issues, and so much more, all through a cross-cultural lens. On our first night here, I met someone who has studied sexual fantasies in the Netherlands, Belgium, and beyond, and I couldn't resist the opportunity to invite him onto my show. So this episode is going to be all about sexual fantasies around the world. My guest today is Lucas the Man. He is an artist. Oh, <laughs> that's that my again. name. No, he's laughing. <laughs> Justin is laughing now, but that's my name, Lucas the Man. But you write it as in Dutch, the man, but it's Lucas the Man. Yeah. It's an amazing name. Yeah, it's my given name. I can't help it. It's great. So, Lucas is an artist, a TV host, and a CEO of the company New Heroes, which is a professional creative company that specializes in multidisciplinary storytelling to question matters defining humanity and society. We're going to be discussing his recent project titled Yes, Please, which is all about erotic fantasies. I can't wait for this conversation. So, let's dive in. Hi, Lucas, and Hi. welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, and welcome to Amsterdam, Justin. Well, thank you, and I'm so glad to have you join me for this. This is going to be a fun interview because we are literally sitting in my bed in Amsterdam talking all about fantasies. And just a quick word of warning to my listeners, in case you hear something that sounds like sex in the background, it probably is because I'm in a hotel with very thin walls and I have very sexually active neighbors. Like they do it enough that I actually know their sex schedule. And, and the positions, you can hear them switch. <laughs> you can. And I also know that it only lasts about three to four minutes. So if we do get interrupted, it's not going to be for very long. <laughs> now, Lucas, I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit more about what you do and specifically how you got into studying sexual fantasies. What's the story behind that? Well, the project is called Yes, Please. And what we do basically is we ask people about their erotic fantasies. And for me, it all started when I was 15 years old and I was looking for, let's say, sexual content in the library of my parents because my mother used to study sex and feminism and so on. And she always had those dirty books. The McKinsey Report, which was a little bit dry, you know, and the next it was something called Secret Garden by Nancy Friday. And I took it out and it was all fantasies by women. Nancy Friday did a, a call in, or an ad actually in the newspaper in the 70s. Please, women, send your erotic fantasies because men think that we are boring and only think about, you know, our husbands. And that book is so, was for me so enlightening, was so revealing that women are amazing not that I didn't know that, but sexually amazing. So for me, it was like, yes, you know, my first girlfriend's going to be amazing. So I saw my first girlfriend and I asked her after two seconds already like, okay, what is your erotic fantasy? And she looked at me with her scared eyes, like I chose the wrong guy or something. And then during my puberty and adolescence later on, I noticed that talking about sex and especially the fantasies was very difficult where I came from in Belgium because I'm from Belgium. And it always stuck to me like freedom and feeling comfortable with who you are is so important if you want to have a 
good sex life, that you are okay with who you are. And what I love about fantasies is that you cannot control them. They are there, you know. It's something turns you on, and that is not what you can control. You can control your actions, but not your fantasies. So when I was a little bit older, let's say two years ago, and I was doing all these projects, I said, we need to do a project about vulnerability. So let's do a project about sex fantasies. Because for me, sharing your sex fantasy is the ultimate vulnerability, which is the ultimate power. Because now we like to have control all the time, so that leads to bad sex. But letting go, being vulnerable, leads to great conversations, great sex, self-esteem. So we said, let's do a project about sex. Then I made the mistake of inviting very famous authors. My whole idea was I'm going to invite the best authors from the Netherlands, from Belgium. They're going to write these steamy, erotic fantasies. Then I have the best actors who will... No, read them out loud and then all the audience will be dripping on their chairs. That was the whole idea. Well, it didn't work. First of all, authors not re- that are good at writing books are not always good at writing erotic fantasies. Second of all, people are very subjective to what they like and don't like. So for them, some people don't like certain words, other people need them. So that the whole project failed. I lost all the money I had in for that project was gone and I had no more money left for that project. Until I said, let's do what Nancy Friday did. Let, ask, let us ask people, just straight up, what do you fantasize about? And we did that with 10 of our friends and with all the employees in my company. They were all asked. And it was so amazing that we uh, started to do this project. Well, it sounds like you found the right approach. And I love everything you said about fantasies being about vulnerability because that's ultimately what holds most of us back from sharing our fantasies is because we're afraid of being too vulnerable with our partners. We're afraid of being judged or shamed by them. And so that prevents a lot of people from ever discussing this with their partners in any way. So let's talk a little bit about how you went about collecting the fantasies for the second project. Sounds like you had a little bit of a hard reset, but you kind of figured things out. And you initially interviewed 300 people from the Netherlands and Belgium. And my understanding is that you did this in person and you drove this cute little fancy (laughs) fantasy caravan around to festivals and other places. And you interviewed people about their sexual fantasies. So that's a little different than how I did the research for my book, Tell Me What You Want, where I did this anonymous online survey. And I'm just curious, how did you do this work? How did you convince people to come into your caravan and tell you about their deepest sexual fantasies? Yeah, so we thought, we first of all, we read your book and are big fans. That's also the reason why we wanted to meet you, because it was actually the only research that was so elaborate and professionally well done that you can find in sexual science. There were some others, but this is very elaborate about fantasies. So we really liked how you asked the people tell us. But I also like what Nancy Friday did, that you really do sort of deeper interview. So first we got lessons from Ellen Lan, which is an amazing sexologist, and how can you interview people about the sex life? So we got really like interview techniques, asking about details, making themselves, making people comfortable, you know. And then we said, okay, we need to go to places where people are comfortable so they can talk about it because otherwise nobody will come to do a survey always the same people so we created this beautiful little caravan very beautiful very cozy very anonymous we went to all kinds of festivals so like big music festivals with a lot of young people but also the housewife festival it's a huge thing in holland and belgium there's like almost a million people read this magazine called the housewife magazine libella it's called and they have their festival and you have only housewives and their husbands that they drag on 
So we went there as well. We went to Kamasutra festivals, all kinds of people from all kinds, a Muslim festival, all kinds of religions. We had this beautiful, cute festival, amazing, good-looking young people outside that said, hey, do you want to partake in a research? And people were like, okay, what is it about? Erotic fantasies. Oh, okay, what do I have to do? Oh, just come in and we'll talk about erotic fantasies. And people were like, oh, okay, okay. They came in and then there was me or Mariella, my, my, my co-worker on this project. And then we said, okay, let's talk about your erotic fantasies. And they were like, whoa, 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 my, my erotic fantasy? I thought it was going to be research. We said, no, it's just very personal. And then because we were very open, why we do that? We always name, named, of course, Justin Lee Miller. We showed you a book and we're like, oh, now I know. And then gradually during the interview, because we asked details, people actually sort of understood their own fantasy because people know a little bit what they like, but they never really thought it through. So they never went like, what is it really that turns me on in that fantasy? For example, someone would say, I like a threesome. And they say, okay. And they may sometimes also know with two women or two men. So that, that's what they know. And then it stops. But then we ask, where do you see the people? From what perspective is it? What really turns you on in that threesome? And then it turns out that they are all kind of different kinds of treasons that turns people on. So for us, it was take time, take it serious, take people serious in their vulnerability and really ask the questions. And every time that people left the little caravan, they were like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. So it's a new thing that I learned. And that gave us more than 300 interviews after four months of traveling. And then we also did it live with an audience. So, because we, we have no money for this project, so, but we are doing storytelling and theater shows and so on. So we said, let's make it a show so that if people want, they can also do it safely in the caravan or they can do it on stage because we had a show about uh, erotic fantasies. So we interviewed also 100 people on stage with an audience looking and watching. And I want to hear all about that a little bit later, you know, because the idea of sharing your fantasies live in front of an audience is a whole different ballgame compared to, you know, talking about it privately, maybe one-on-one -on -one in a caravan. But I'm curious a little bit about, you know, the people that you got to interview for this initially. You know, it sounds like you went to very diverse places to recruit participants. But how diverse were they? Did you have people of different ages, different backgrounds? You know, what does your sample look like? So the youngest was, I think, 16. The oldest was 88. I will never forget one. We had all kinds of religions, but it was for me very important. We had different kinds of colors, people from different backgrounds, a lot of different sexualities, sexual orientations. Actually, we have 17 different nominations for sexual orientations that people wrote down. I didn't know they existed, 17, but... That was for me also an eye-opener. So it's, it's very diverse. And I must say, we did it first in Holland and Belgium. And we really liked it so much that we started doing it more openly like in the world. And then we got way more different kinds of people because we wanted to know how it's in the Middle East or how is it in Africa, how is it in Asia, you know, can, are there differences, you know. So that's what we're doing right now. But when we're in Belgium and Holland, it were all Belgian Dutch or Belgians or people from abroad living in Holland or Belgium. So one other question before we get into what did you find and what are people fantasizing about, which is, so you described this project that initially didn't work out and then you had to do this hard reset and try it again. How do you get 
the money to do something like this. Because in the United States, like there is literally no money to study sexual fantasies. And when I did my work, it was all self-funded just on my own time because there's no support for that kind of thing. So was this a self-funded project for you? And was this just about your persistence and going through it? How did you make it happen? Well, the honest answer is there's no money for sexual fantasy research here as well. But we are an art group, so we got money for making performances or installations or podcasts and things like that. So a lot of our partners like the topic so much that they invested some money in the end results. So we created the book, we created the live show where people were also interviewed, we created an exposition and they put money in there. So the research was funded by ourselves. But we took some of the money that they already invested for the end to make sure that we could do that because we always want to make sure that whoever helps us get paid. I love that. I think that's actually a really valuable lesson is that sometimes when you want to do this kind of work, you have to go the non-traditional route to make it happen. And so by essentially turning it into an art project, you could bring this to life. I, I love that. And I think it's just such a creative, wonderful idea. So let's get to the good stuff. What is it that people are fantasizing about? What kinds of things did you find in the initial work where you were studying people in the Netherlands and Belgium? What are they fantasizing about? And how does it compare to say what Americans are fantasizing about? Yeah, so for me, and this is very serious, we took your your book and your research as the basic because what I really liked is that you interviewed or you had more than 4,000 respondents and you had the, the seven categories. So you had categories and we were looking like, do they match? So we took actually the American example as standard to check does the Belgians and the Dutch have completely different fantasy or not. And two interesting things. First of all, the most common ones are the same that you found. The, the, the multiple sex people is the most common one, threesomes, foursomes, orgies. Then power, all kinds. But the other thing, interesting conclusion, is that we found actually some more categories. Not because your work wasn't thorough, but because if you interview people, it takes more time. And especially if they allow themselves to be vulnerable, they actually come with ideas that they didn't think of. So if you ask them to rationally think, they will say a few things. But if you really go deep in it, they'll come up with things they didn't even know. So the two extra categories were that a lot of people, we call it relive what they see or read or experience. Like if you had sex and some people really take some moments from sex with the ex and then repeat it and it becomes a fantasy. Other people, what they read or saw on TV. Or, so it's, it's a whole new category. And the last one I call non-taboo fetishes. So it's, it's sort of focused more and senses like smelling and feeling and touching. We had one girl, I will never forget it. She said, I always fantasize about the feeling of ice on my warm skin. So for her, the whole feeling of the ice melting was she masturbated to that feeling. I, I love that. She's sitting in front of me in the caravan saying this. I'm like, oh yeah, I can feel the eyes as well. But also was like people are focused on details that are non-taboo, uh, armpits, for example, yoga pants, so on. So there was a whole fetish category that is non-taboo because you have, of course, of course the taboo fetishes. So that were two new things. But what I really liked is that it's so broad, that you also find it's so open. We had, we had things that I've never heard about. You know, people fantasize about mythological f- uh, animals, people fantasizing about being the worst. I mean, we also had extreme ones, you know. We had female pedophilia, 
we now have male pedophilia in the broader research, but we didn't have it in Belgium, Holland, but we have murder. So people fantasize about being murdered or murdering someone else. And then it's, it's very important to stay relaxed and focus that it's a fantasy. As long as it's a fantasy, everything goes. Everything goes. Because fantasy is about freedom. The moment it becomes a longing and you want to do it, then it's something different. So the person who fantasizes about uh, killing was not about the killing. It was the idea that he's so, so close with someone that that person would even be willing to, to let go live. So you really have to ask someone what exactly turns you on in it. And then even the, the most gruesome or at first sight gruesome fantasies can, can be actually very tender. Because the other thing that I noticed, that fantasies are always about being free. And can be about having control or losing control, but it's always that you long to be you completely. Mm -hmm. And that is super beautiful and very, very important. Oh my God, there's so many things in what you said that I think are so important. One is that distinction between a fantasy and a desire, yes. right? So most of us will have a very dark fantasy cross our minds at some point in our lives, maybe more than once. But if it's just a fantasy, it's just a fantasy, right? When it becomes something that you really want to do and it's something that would be non-consensual or would cause harm to others, that's a whole different issue. And that's where it's important to seek professional help to avoid acting on fantasies like that. But you talked about so many important things. And so one of them was this idea that you were interviewing people and so you could ask them follow-up questions. And that's something I couldn't do in my research. You know, I just asked them to write out your fantasy in your own words. And the way that you were doing it by asking the follow-ups, you can get this richer information that you can't do anonymously. And so there are advantages and disadvantages of each of the research methods, right? So some people might only want to participate in an anonymous survey. And unfortunately, you can't ask them the follow-up questions. But for the people who are willing to be interviewed, you can get all of that really rich data. And I think the two new categories that you added make a lot of sense. You know, I did see in some of the fantasies that my participants reported that that sensory experience was really important to them, right? And our fantasies, I, I think we often reduce them to being just this mental image, this yeah. picture. Yeah. But there's often, for example music playing or sounds, right? So this is this auditory component. There can also be smells. There can be that certain touch. You know, I, I'm starting to think of this one fantasy that one of my participants described where it was very multi-sensory because she was talking about being on the beach with her partner and they were drinking champagne and there was the, the taste of the champagne and there was the smell of the salt water in the air and there was the feeling of the breeze on their skin's and, you know, it's all of these different things coming together at once. So it's not just about, you know, sort of watching a movie in your mind. It's about all of those different things. Yeah. And also the question is, what turns you on in that fantasy? Because, for example, that's how we categorize them. Some can say, I want to have a romantic sex with my girlfriend. But for some, it says, no, the whole turn on is the taste of the champagne or the whole turn on is the oil on the body that I can feel. And so when you ask follow-up questions, you can sometimes go to the whole point, yeah, but okay, I now understand the image, but what exactly is it that makes you tick, right? Actually, this project gave me a lot of extra respect for humankind that because of the diversity of what people uh, fantasize, long for it gives me a lot of faith in, uh, in humankind because there's also a lot of shame mm -hmm. 
that we discover, people sh ashamed of themselves and then not allowing themselves to be themselves and then with that covered up person entering life and relationships. And then I think, how can you have a real relationship with someone else if you not allow you to be you? So I think that not even, if you don't want to share it with your partner, your fantasies, okay, that's your choice. But if you don't want to share it with yourself, then we have a difficult conversation. Because if you don't allow yourself to be turned on by what you are turned on, then, then you're already stopping door number one and you have 10 more to go. So what I was experiencing is that a lot of people actually left the caravan with the idea that they knew themselves a little bit more. Me too. I, I got a whole new idea of my own fantasy. So for me, it was a project about vulnerability, about being open, in which sexuality is just one of the doors to get there. And I think everything you're saying, especially about how you collected this data, I can see how it's almost a form of sex therapy. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't fully engage with their fantasies, right? They just, they have that mental image or picture. They might masturbate to it. They might think about it during sex. They get some enjoyment about from it, but they've never actually sat there and, and really thought about, you know, where do all of these elements come from? What, what do they mean? Because I think we're often reluctant to engage too much with our fantasies because there's, there's so much of that shame. And so I can see how asking all those follow-up questions could lead people to greater self-understanding. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's something we could all benefit from. So we have much more to discuss, including more on how culture shapes our sexual fantasies, as well as how Lucas got celebrities to open up about their sexual fantasies on stage in front of a live audience, which you're going to love hearing about. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you've ever wanted to start your own podcast, you need the best recording program out there, and it's Zencaster. I've tried a lot of different platforms, but Zencaster's quality is unparalleled. Sign up today for a free two-week trial and use my exclusive discount code SEXANDPSYCH, P-S-Y-C-H, to save 40% off their professional plan. Visit Zencaster.com to learn more. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. This episode of the Sex and Psychology podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Promescent. Promescent is here to help you get better in bed. Check out their Vitaflux supplements, which aim to enhance sexual health by increasing libido, sexual desire, and orgasm satisfaction in men and women alike. Vitaflux can also help to increase erection strength in men and vaginal lubrication in women. Promescent's other sexual wellness products include their signature delay spray, which can help men last longer in bed, a female arousal gel that heightens sensitivity, and a line of personal lubricants that come in several varieties. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders and free shipping on orders over $10. Also, all orders come in discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. And we're back. My guest today is Lucas DeMann, and we're talking all about sex fantasies around the world. Now, before the break, we were talking about how sexual fantasies vary a little bit across cultures. And you mentioned that you've recently conducted some work where you expanded beyond the Netherlands and Belgium to capture a more diverse population. So have you found anything different in that work when you started studying sexual fantasies across the globe? Any new or different fantasies or different themes that seem to have emerged? Yeah, it's so funny. So the answer is yes. And the reason why we wanted to 
extend our research is because the book that we published is in Dutch. And it's a little bestseller in Holland and Belgium, but there are only five people living in this country. So it's, it's <laughs> easy to be a bestseller. And, and we really liked what we found. So we said, okay, let's, let's translate it into English, but not just translate literally words. It doesn't feel right. So let's interview people from all over the world in English, the most common language. And that has been amazing. First of all, it was Corona. So we had to do it through Zoom which was the same as the caravan, because it's just one one. So it's just one person with me or Mariella or one of the students that work with us. So it's very intimate. It's like we being here now doing this podcast. It's intimate, but at the same time, it's professional. So you feel safe. And, and that actually worked super well that we had people from all over Europe popping up on your screen, doing a one-on-one conversation, 40 minutes, sharing their deepest thoughts and then saying goodbye, never seeing them again. It was I don't know, it gave me actually more freedom than ever. And what we saw is, I don't know if it's because of Corona, but two things really stood out that we didn't see before in the 300 plus people we spoke in Belgium, Holland. First of all is, of course, the fantasies about touch and proximity and contact. So people actually saying in interviews, yeah, normally my fantasies are more about, let's say, bondage and being being uh, dominated and so on. But... The last few months, I've been fantasizing about that one romantic date where that guy touches my hand and then the whole turn on is the touch of the hand. Very interesting. I know you also did research on sex and erotic lives during pandemic and actually it changes. Either people are way more longing for comfort or the other way going more extreme. And the second thing we noticed are things that I didn't hear before in that quantities. For example, pegging, which is male being penetrated right and especially the whole fantasy that a female penetrates the male so you get actually a female with a dildo or could also i mean the easiest form is of course with fingers but it could be dildo or whatever but a female longing for a heterosexual or cis male to be penetrated by another male so you have this whole idea of women kissing each other no problem. Everybody thinks it's normal whether you know straight or lesbian or whatever. The whole idea is you can you can kiss within your own gender as women. But for men, there's still this very strange thing because a lot of cis men are afraid that they are called gay or whatever. But I think because it's turning, because I think gender equality is rising, that the longing for equality, especially with women, is going I mean, it's growing every year. So what we see is a lot of women fantasizing that their boyfriends would be fucked by another man or would love to to have sex at threesome with another man, but everybody makes love with each other. And this is this is very interesting that we didn't hear much about that. I mean, once or twice in 300, and now we had like 10 in 100, right? It was like it came up, not always as main fantasy, but it always came up. And I thought, oh, wow, it's moving. Mm-hmm. Gender is moving. The concept of what is equal and not is moving. So we don't want this whole uber masculinity that you are too afraid anymore. We would like that that everything is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's similar to what I've seen in the research that I've done during the pandemic. There have been some changes in people's sexual fantasies. Two changes that we've seen. One is that, yes, a lot of people's fantasies have become more passionate and romantic where it's about that, you know, sort of intimate touch, that connection, that bonding with another person, because so many of us missed out on that during the pandemic for a really long time. And so it wasn't so much that we needed 
sex, as in like the physical act of, say, intercourse, we needed human contact and touch. And sex is kind of a vehicle for doing that. And then we also saw a lot of people become kinkier during the pandemic, you know, sort of expanding their sexual selves in a lot of ways. And, And sometimes that was, you know, through pegging and other activities like that, because pegging is, you know, it's a form of power play. What do you think about it? And it, I've written a lot of articles about this because I've seen a lot of people who have fantasies about this topic. And and certainly, you know, that whole gender equality conversation is very relevant here too. But I think the the power play angle is is a really big part of it as well. And so that fits in with sort of this growth of of kink fantasies that we've seen during this really interesting historical period that we've all just been through and we're still going through. And I also think with equality, it's I think power and equality goes together hand in hand. I think the more equality is, the more fantasies about being dominated or about being able to 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 let go, you see. So I think it's a feminist fantasy, the fantasy of being dominated or the fantasy of being raped or the fantasy of giving letting go of control is a feminist fantasy because it's a longing for also to be able to just be and you give control to someone else. Giving control to someone is an act of control. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about the whole thing that equality means that in fantasy you can, and in sex life, you can allow power more. The moment where there's no equality, power is something very negative in sex because it can be seen as unconsensual but the moment you feel okay you can give control away you can take control and it's a play and then we go into Oscar Wilde who says everything in life is about sex except for sex that's about power I love that quote because a good power play is mm, a bad power play is really bad so it's a very thin line so I love when people feel themselves and equal because then they can play all night long and speaking of power exchanges this got me thinking about a conversation we had at dinner the other night with your colleague Mariella so let's give a shout out to her because she's amazing and if she were not taking a vacation after just finishing her PhD she would be here with us right now but she deserves this this break (laughs) after all of that but at our dinner the other night you mentioned that one of the fantasies that I found that was very popular in my work that you didn't find at all was cuckolding right so why do you think that is? Why why weren't there really any cuckolding fantasies that emerged in the work that you yeah. did? And and if there were any, it was it was not the turn on. So it was like it could be a little bit apart, but first of all, we didn't find many. And if there were, it was not the main turn. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a US thing. I don't know. It's maybe it's also the way we ask. That's that's the whole thing. The way you ask someone, you get answers. So agree, but it's interesting. What do you think? I don't know. Maybe Americans just want to be cuckolded. I, I, I. <laughs> You're American. Why do you want to be cuckolded so much? Well, I think part of it is, you know, if you're talking about a comparison between European sexuality and American sexuality, they're different in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, and one of the differences is that there's much greater acceptance of non-monogamy, I think, at least based on what I've learned and seen in European cultures compared to the U.S., where in the U.S. there's a much greater norm of monogamy. And so violating that norm of monogamy, playing with that taboo might be more erotically appealing. So maybe that could explain why it's been more popular in the world. Yeah, I can imagine. I think it's it's, it's not seen as such a big turn on the idea of cheating. I mean, we have them in the book. We have them a few. But it's often that the woman watches or the man watches while being cheating on. 
but it's always called cheating. So the idea that he, he or she cheats and the other person watches, but the whole idea he or she cheats and I don't know anything about is not, not a, or I want to cheat on my partner is not a big thing. No, it could be. I think in the European culture, of course, it's a little bit more liberal, but I must say, I don't know if it's in the US, we are going to a period of more prudity. We're going to a period of more closeness. And for me, it hurts me as a young person that we're actually going backwards in time. So my parents fought for f sexual freedom in the 70s. We got it. Amsterdam was one of the capitals of sexual freedom. And somehow now it's going backwards because we are afraid again. And I think with our fantasies, we should fight that fear. Yeah. Speaking of cross-cultural differences and fantasies, I've done some work on this that I haven't gotten around to publishing yet, but I did present it recently at a sex research conference. The title of my presentation was something along the lines of sexual fantasies on six continents. And so mm -hmm. I looked at people living in very different world regions and looked at similarities and differences in their fantasies. And I found that just like you mentioned, you know, when you look at the biggest fantasy themes, the multi-partner sex, the power play, the novelty, you know, these things were very popular across cultures. And if you look at the least common sexual fantasies, you know, things like pedophilia, necrophilia, and so forth, these are similarly uncommon across cultures. But you do see some differences. And one is that actually in my European sample, there was a higher percentage of BDSM fantasies than there were in, in other countries. Yeah. So even though that is popular everywhere, it seems especially popular here. And another difference that I saw was there were differences in who people were fantasizing about. So I asked people to describe in detail the characteristics of the typical partners and their sexual fantasies. And one of the things that really stands out to me is if you look at Asian Americans, so people of Asian descent living in the United States, they predominantly reported fantasizing about white people. But in my cross-cultural work, when I look at persons of Asian descent living in Asian cultures, they predominantly fantasize about other Asian people. And I think that really speaks to the fact that our culture shapes our sexual fantasies in very powerful ways and who we find attractive and what we might desire. So for example, we know taboos are a big theme in people's fantasies, but what is taboo varies a lot from culture to culture. So I think that is probably also going to be another factor that shapes what we fantasize about. So I'm curious, after all of this work, do you have a different perspective on where you think our fantasies come from? Or, you know, what have you sort of learned on that? Yeah, I think I totally agree with you. I think that the time you live in, says a lot. I think the place you live in, for example, we got from the Southern American countries, way more things doing with religion. For example, holy women. There's a, there's a whole chapter in our book about holy women. Mostly men fantasize about, about forbidden sex with, with Mother Maria or with, 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 with the queen or whatever. The idea that, that you can't touch power, that always those people come from very Catholic countries. So yes, I do believe that religion, I do believe that uh, open or not open culture, where you're from. I also think that during time of your own life, your fantasies can change because you are more open or closed, because you get... I also think your partners, your sexual experiences. So yes, it's constantly evolving and flowing. And I actually think that you can learn about how a country is doing freedom-wise by just looking at the fantasies of the people. Because the more free they feel, the more the power play comes in. So group sex is about freedom. BDSM is about freedom. 
on contrast what some people think it's a lot about freedom you know I, I give you power and we play this but when it comes to real like fetishes like real focused it's always about fighting the non-freedom that people have they are focused on something to make sure they break out of it so yes I think you can sociology put sociology sexuality politicology all together and see how a country is doing yeah? So it sounds like we need a lot more research on sexual fantasies. And if we have some generous benefactor who's listening, who wants to fund the type of work that we need to do, longitudinal, cross-cultural, reach out, let us know, and yeah. we're happy to do it. And Lucas will turn it into an art exhibit for you. I will. Now, we're running short on time, but I really wanted to ask you, you brought celebrities on stage and asked them about their sexual fantasies. What was that experience like? How did you get them to open up in front of a live audience about something that most people won't share with their intimate partner? Yeah. So how are they going to share it with a live audience? Well, I think we were professionally naive about it because we were in some of the major festivals in Holland and Belgium. So there were already celebrities, celebrity musicians, celebrity writers that were already there. And then the organizers of those festivals, who also booked us, helped us with reaching out to the managers and, and all these people. And they said, these guys are doing a cool research project. It's with a live show. You get interviewed about erotica or about, about love. They, saw, they always made it too general. And then those people came to us like, okay, what do, what do we need to do? I get on stage and I talk about what? And we said, yeah, your erotic fantasies. And then I think two people said no, and they just left. And all the rest said, okay, let's see how it goes. Because you don't have to give too much explanation. And to be honest, I think we had about 30 celebrity people. And of those 30, I think seven didn't do well because they just were putting on a show. You know, they're going to go, I like this. And the audience didn't like it at all. Because it's so ugly when someone is not being themselves right giving a show but the rest i think at least 27 of them were vulnerable so they sat down and they said okay ask me and they share because you don't share about your sex life you share about your fantasy so it sounds strange but it's not giving away their private lives it's giving away their fantasy and it's it's one they can have 10 more they shared one and the audience if they were vulnerable the people the audience were hanging at their lips thinking like oh my god this person is sharing something that i also maybe have or understand and i will never forget that one of the more famous young upcoming writers in uh, belgium and holland so the, the netherlands she was telling about fantasies going like yeah you know the fantasy of of a young girl and and her teacher you know how it goes and we're like, no, what, what do you mean? What? Yeah, that, that the young girl is disgusted by her teacher, but she fucks him anyway. You know how it goes. So she started with just two or three sentences. And then it took us half an hour to sort of peel off every layer of this fantasy, which was beautiful because it was a fantasy about disgust that she always had fantasies about things that she disgusted or people she didn't like so that she sort of overcame them and felt completely free. The audience gave her a standing ovation because... It was like one of her books, you know, very open and poetic. So, and she had no idea that she was going to say so much. But afterwards, people really respected it for her. So I think because they saw that it worked, the rest also became more vulnerable. So you think the audience could clearly tell and you could tell when people were being authentic as opposed to when they were just oh, yeah. putting on a show? Yeah, and when they were not being authentic then you had to wrap up as fast as possible because it, it's, it's ugly when people are just putting on a show. But when they were authentic, whether it was the, the, the celebrities or the common people, we had also a lot of just people from, from, from the audience that came and sat down. It was beautiful. We only did two each show because otherwise it becomes a gimmick. Yeah. But yeah, the, 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 it was so great. We had, we had, a, we had a, a guy who was 
talking about macrophilia. I never heard of it, but he was explaining for him how it was so a big turn on that his his partner he, that he would be 20 meters. I don't know how, how many feet it is, but it's a lot of feet. I can't do the conversion meters, either. A whole bunch of feet. <laughs> really tall. big. And then his penis would grow through the window and then he would sit on top of the penis of his partner and, and be super content. But the way he talked about it, the whole audience was sort of enjoying his fantasy. But normally if you would say, yeah, like macrophilia, people say, hmm, that's weird. But he was so much into it that people were like, whoa. And then they could ask questions. They were like, okay, but tell me, is the window open or does the penis break through the window? Or tell me how it goes and does he ejaculate or not? And the guy was so happy that people were actually enthusiastic about him. They were telling him afterwards, he told me, I've never in my life told anyone this fantasy. And now I shared it with 300 people. And I got so much energy. I'm going home to my boyfriend and, and share this for the first time. That was so weird, but so cool. That's fascinating. It's, it's giving me so many ideas for other things that I could do with my own work on sexual fantasies. Because I love this idea of people sharing them publicly. You know, it's, I think, can, when you hear it through people's own words in their own voice, you understand it, relate to it in a totally different way than just reading something in a book or listening to my audiobook and having me read other people's sexual fantasies, right? Hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, I think is a very different thing. And sometimes it literally is from a horse's mouth, yeah. depending on the fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucas, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. What's next for you? Do you have more plans? Are yeah, so the idea is that we are going to make an English version of our book with all the new research, all the international research. Hopefully next year, it's 50 years since the book of Nancy Friday came out. So I hope in 2022, maybe with a word of you in there, that we can actually bring out the, the English version book and then hopefully tour with the fact that we can do the live interviews because I would love to maybe together that we actually go abroad and share what is, what is fantasy and the beauty of fantasy because I think we can always see fear we can see violence. We can see inequality. Nobody hides it. But we do hide beauty and we do hide freedom and we do hide our, our fantasies. So I think let's reverse it. Let's show love and fantasy as an antidote against all the violence and negativity that is out there. I love that. Let's take sexual fantasies around the world together. So, let's do, let's do. So many opportunities. It was truly a pleasure to have you here, Lucas. Thank you for your time and for helping us to learn more about sexual fantasies through cross-cultural perspective. It was great meeting you here in Amsterdam. I've been having so much fun here. I've learned a ton and I'm going to have to do more podcasts about it because there's just way too much to cover in a single episode. Also, thank you to my listeners to keep up with new episodes of the podcast, which was made on Zencaster. Please visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. And if you can speak Dutch, check out Yes, Please. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.